The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, Trident Room host Luke Gorski sits down with Jeff Klein and Lila Engelhorn. They are leading the NWSI Warfare Innovation Continuum Workshop this year, entitled Hybrid Force 2045. The goal of Hybrid Force 2045 is to understand how emerging technologies and operational concepts can be leveraged to build an effective future naval force. Now, before we dive into uh, into all that, can you just each introduce yourselves quickly for the listeners and share a little bit of your professional background, how you got to MPS, and how you got involved with uh, NWSI? Uh, Captain, we can start with you. Sure. I had... Uh, 26 great years as a surface warfare officer in the Navy, had two great commands. I came here in my final tour as the uh, senior military faculty in the operations research department. Uh, Had four great years there in uniform and then transitioned as a professor of practice in our operations research department. Uh, During that time, for the last uh, 15, 20 years, uh, Lyle and I have been doing concept generation for uh, emerging technologies, how to actually integrate them into Navy tactics. We've been looking at both the classified and unclassified issues uh, with the threat emerging from China and new uh, submarine threats uh, emerging from Russia. And we combine our students and in our, in our classrooms and workshops in order to answer some of those problems. And it's been a great uh, almost um, 15 years now here at MPS. Awesome. And ma'am, how about yourself? Well, thanks for having us and allowing us a chance to talk about all this work. Um, I actually joined Jeff's team in 2011 with the start of the Consortium for Robotics and Unmanned Systems Education and Research Program, Cruiser. Mm -hmm. So we initially looked at problem spaces within the unmanned systems world and emerging technologies. And now with the Naval Warfare Studies Institute, we're looking at broader issues throughout um, the warfare spectrum. And I've been doing rapid concept generation using tools of user-centered design, sometimes known as design thinking, really focusing on the human in whatever problem space we're looking at Mm -hmm. within these wicked problems, very complex problem spaces there is always a human you're solving for, regardless of the shiny tech. Oh, yeah, and it sounds like, I mean, yeah, MPS is a great place for someone with that expertise or interest to come to. How'd you end up here at MPS or in Monterey? That is a good question. Um, I got my master's in public policy with Leon Panetta at the Panetta Institute for Public Policy, and part of my master's program was an internship. And I could do an internship in something I'd already been involved with or something brand new. And I had spent a long time professionally as an actor. Okay. And worked within the theater in a variety of realms, development, marketing, tech, lighting design. And I'd also worked in marine stewardship through the Monterey Bay Aquarium and Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute. I helped design the deep exhibit for them. And so I could go back into that realm and I decided to go brand new. I'd never worked in government. I'd never worked with the military. And I came and met with Jeff Klein, and he placed me on the Maritime Information Sharing Task Force to look at information sharing between uh, government and industry, the public-private information sharing spectrum around port security issues. So that's what I did my thesis on. Okay. And 
when I got my master's degree, was lucky enough to join the cruiser program as it stood up, and Jeff was the director. And then now that he's the director, he started the Naval Warfare Studies Institute. I followed him to that program and that's continuing awesome. doing you the just same keep work. Pushing him forward, right? <laughs> well, that's not quite true. And what I mean that Lila's made a name for herself on campus. Uh, although she her originally positioned in our maritime uh, security efforts, uh, when we stood up Cruiser, she had already set and became uh, uh, well known for her talent in bringing students together from diverse curriculum and services and countries, for that matter, uh, to work on very hard problems. And so uh, she is her independent person on campus. I just have learned to leverage her talents. Yeah, and I think that the two of you here having you today is an awesome way to really demonstrate the unique, um, you know, as we're going to talk about hybrid, but kind of the combination of different different expertise areas that, you know, here at MPS that allows to do some interesting, different, maybe out-of-the-box stuff that wouldn't happen at most military uh, or traditional military institutions. Oh, absolutely. It is a very diverse academic environment. There's always fascinating projects going on. And it's almost an embarrassment of riches to be able to work with these ferociously intelligent people doing fascinating things and such a variety of um, research topics and problem spaces to work in. Yeah, I like to say that MPS is, fills that orthogonal space between military culture and academia research. And so uh, we're able to handle and cross those bridges quite well. Mm-hmm. So let's dive right into uh, Hybrid Force 2045. Um, so I gave it a little bit of an introduction at the beginning, uh, kind of taking my own words, but as the experts here, what would you guys say is the goal here? Well, I, I want to back up a little bit okay. and explain what we've been doing uh, for the last 13 years or so. NPS has adopted a major theme of interest uh, to the U.S. Navy. Uh, that's everything from distributed maritime operations uh, to uh, littoral operations in contested environments. Now, those two titles are well recognized by many of your Navy leaders, uh, reader, uh, listeners, excuse me, and Marine Corps listeners, uh, as current concepts. But we were working on them before they became current concepts, and uh, so we are. We like to leverage our tactically experienced and operationally experienced students while they're getting their educational degree to advance their professional knowledge as well to help develop these new and emerging things to help inform the services. Um, this year, we selected Hybrid Force 2045 specifically because it's in line with the Chief of Naval Operations' current stra strategy on developing a future force and the Commandant's uh, strategy on force design. So uh, we actually are in alignment with those strategic documents in order to explore exactly how you put it, to see what emerging technologies, what new concepts that we can employ uh, or develop to employ in a future force. Um, because of the challenges that our adversaries have presented us now in both the competitive phase throughout all domains, whether it's uh, space, whether it's cyber, uh, whether it's conventional warfare, uh, we now have to take a look at breaking up that carrier-centric force that we've served us so well for the last 70 years. We're entering the age of the robotic age of warfare with these emerging technologies, and we like to explore with uh, you, the students, 
what that means for future war fighting and for future force structure. That's what hybrid force is all about. These uh, warfare innovation continuums normally involve around 400 and 500 uh, faculty, students, and sponsors in various activities. Uh, Lila runs the warfare innovation continuum workshop that as soon as I stop talking, I'm going to hand the baton to her to describe. Uh, but we get our concepts and our ideas from that workshop, and then we spread that out across campus to various classrooms, to various research projects, thesis works in order to advance those ideas to see how promising they may be. Awesome. So, yeah, you want to dive into the workshop? Oh, that's absolutely. What you yeah. guys just did recently, correct? Yes. End of September, I usually take the week between finals and graduation when mm -hmm. students don't have classes so that you can be immersed in this complex problem space for three and a half days with a facilitator and other students as well as visiting engineers from academia and industry, the warfare centers. Um, very rich space for collaboration there. And one of the outcomes of these workshops is not just the concepts that then inform research and classroom projects throughout the year, but that intersection between junior officers and early career engineers. Some early career engineers in warfare centers, they arrived from their academic degree, they're sunk in their engineering specialty area and back in a lab space. And sometimes it's the first time they've met someone who's been operational mm -hmm. out in the fleet in these battle spaces and using the stuff that they're developing. Sometimes it's the first time a student has met somebody from a warfare center who's designing the things they might use in the future. And it's a really important conversation to have and very important contacts to make as both of those individuals move forward in their careers. Yeah, and I think that's uh, one of the really, another key point that pointed out in some of the, the background materials you gave me on this was, you know, it's really focusing on the you know, junior officers and early career engineers. And I think that's a yes. really good and important point to start making those connections. I think that, uh, you know, it gives you a little, I guess maybe JOs feel like they have a little bit more freedom to work outside the traditional boxes. And I think that perhaps the early career engineers have that a little bit as well. So maybe you get a little bit of increased creativity um, as you guys are going through this. Is that something you found? Oh, yeah. Well, you get, let's say you get an engineer from MIT or from um, uh, Panama City or from Boeing. They just finished their degree, like Lyle described. They really love robotics. They, they have this really good idea. And then maybe we have one of our own uh, officers who's going through the mechanical engineering department, and uh, they've always been frustrated at something at the fleet, uh, and they want to start thinking about and working on that as well. The synergy that occurs in those workshops is just fantastic. Now, we reap those ideas, and those ideas are what we like to mature. So that officer that stays here uh, as a mechanical engineering student student uh, may work on some sort of crawler that uh, they addressed in the workshop as a prototype demonstration uh, for their thesis. Uh, likewise, the industry, the MIT uh, young faculty member or the, uh, the young engineer that or early career engineer that just came from Boeing uh, can go back for an appreciation of how their ideas might be applied in the operational environment. Mm -hmm. And they end up advising their bosses, hey, this is an idea, but here's how to sell it, quote unquote to a senior general or, or uh, an admiral in order to put it in their language. So the synergy that occurs in the workshop are very powerful, uh, both for future networks and for the ideas that come out of it. Not all the ideas we can use. Um, out of 100 ideas, 80 
are looked at already or being currently researched, which is great. It means that everybody's been brought up to a common uh, knowledge level. Ten of those ideas are fiscally or physically impossible. And that's great, too, uh, because it means you're pushing the box. You're pushing the boundaries, you know. Ten percent, nobody's thought of. They're going, when we go, wow, wait a minute, you could use that thing this way? Uh, and sometimes that's not emerging technology. Sometimes that's just a different application of a current technology that it wouldn't think about. And that's the definition of innovation. There you go. That's awesome. So what are uh, some of those ideas that you guys got out of the workshop this time around? Uh, well, I'll start with one, and then you can start All it. Right. Uh, well, we're, we were looking at this particular workshop at, at different emerging technologies and, and, a, and hybrid uh, concepts. So one of the teams looked specifically at the ability for the undersea um, environment and, and benthic, the seabed, to actually contain different capabilities, rising payloads, so to speak, uh, to employ at different levels throughout competition and warfare so that you might have uh, pre-positioned supplies around the world, pre-positioned oil, pre-positioned missiles, uh, pre-positioned uh, 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 generators, so that those things can actually come up at times and locations when you actually need them. Uh, the concept of rising payloads is not new, but the process of putting it together as a system, its communication based on its, the political environment uh, was different and new. And so there's some things about that system that still has to be you know, looked at. It has to be, uh, t we, we don't want to build the entire system as a prototype, but maybe uh, long-term uh, effects of underwater storage of fuel, for example, and a rising payload, uh, we haven't looked at that, what the effect of the fuel would be. Or should we, in fact, take a look at hydrogen generators underwater and then allow hydrogen fuel to be part of that total system? Uh, that was just one idea of the recent uh, workshop. We also looked at some existing uh, things that DARPA and ONR, Office of Naval Research, asked us to look at the uh, sea uh, and surface wing and ground effect craft mm -hmm. uh, for uh, potential logistics movement as well as uh, rapid uh, delivery of uh, systems. Um, and uh, we looked at several other uh, technologies. That's the other thing that comes into these workshops. We should back up a little bit, is that we invite both industry, senior industry, ONR, uh, DARPA, uh, to come in and say, we got this widget, we got this thing, we got this uh, platform. Um, how would you use it in the operational environment? And so our students and, and our early career engineers that come, as well as fleet lieutenants, it's open not just to our students, but we also get uh, officers from OPNAV and from the fleet to participate as well. They'll struggle with those and then they'll give a report. Here how I, here's how I would fit this in to the larger fleet. And that's really interesting, and just kind of going on the, the SWIG idea for a minute, because I know I was involved in a war game the previous quarter right. with DARPA that was doing that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really cool to kind of see, okay, we did, went and did this war game, figured out some pieces that were of interest to DARPA, how it could be used, and then kind of giving it over to you all in your group and like, all right, let's find some more real-world applications for some of the stuff they figured out in the war game. Well, in fact, that's by design. So you were actually the second step in a series of analysis that occurred with the, with the uh, SWIG. Um, the first thing we normally do is we get an emerging technology from either industry or from DARPA or from ONR. We take that through modeling and simulation and campaign analysis to see what the impact would be. That's our first step. 
Uh, or we take this technology that comes out of the workshop and, uh, and, and we do that with it. Then we move it to the war game, the one mm -hmm. that you participated in. Mm -hmm. We find out um, uh, what are the strengths and weaknesses of both blue, what, how would red respond? Uh, if, if there is a green that is an ally, would they be susceptible or, or not? And then we move it to one other step, which is a massive modeling and simulation which usually a, a student, an operations research student or a systems engineering student will take that piece of uh, that concept with that emerging technology. They'll model and they'll simulate maybe a million to a half million uh, engagements, varying the different parameters, different tactics. And then we use advanced statistics to understand what's important, how best to employ that system, how far that system has to go, how long it's on station time should be, how far that sonar has to look at in order to make a difference in those engagements. That informs then the physical design and prototyping of the equipment itself. It's an awesome thing to be a part of here. I think it's really interesting and hopefully we'll see the effects down the line. Um, so beyond uh, like the swig or some of those other things that uh, Captain Klein talked about, what are some other things that you saw? Well, there are beyond just technologies, teams really struggle with like the, the full range of concepts. Some of them are organizational. Some of them for this one in particular have to do with force structure and design. So we gave them some inputs on what you need to consider when looking at force design. One of the teams came up with a three-layered force design where they placed, they pulled the carrier out of the front and placed it in the back. Mm -hmm. So the initial force is a heterogeneous mix of unmanned, lightly manned, and manned systems working together for initial line defense. And there are intermediary vehicles that are connectors to the second layer. And then finally, the third layer is the carrier in the back mm -hmm. that is brought in when the threat is less to losing that high value asset. Um, and that will have to be modeled to see how feasible it is and to identify the ideal mix of vessels they, um, the team pulled a couple of vessels that were identified in the Amend Systems Framework as example vessels. But now we'll have to do more work to, to flesh that out a little bit. A another team um, proposed a concept based on the idea in Frank Herbert's en Ender's Game, not Herbert. Anyway, Ender's Game. <laughs> Herbert was Dune. Um, <laughs> I just watched Dune. Dune on the mind. Yeah. Dune on the mind. Um, but in, in Ender's card. Game, there we go, Orson's talk card. Um, and looking at a human machine team, how that human AI team works together, and a continuum of decision responsibilities. What decisions in what realms can be made predominantly? at the machine level, what decisions need to be reserved for full human responsibility, and where are decisions that can be made along that continuum? And how does that decision continuum change in peacetime versus wartime? Looking at things like ethical decisions, which most likely remain in the human realm, versus um, system decisions and maintenance and logistics decisions, which could maybe rely more on machine decision making. Mm -hmm. So that's another concept that came out of this workshop. And, and associated with that, which was I found interesting, uh, 
uh, was uh, human in the loop machine learning. Mm. So, uh, interestingly enough, and since that workshop, I thought it was amazing. It was an aha moment for me, right? So, uh, and of course, for our statisticians who are working on machine learning, it was like, okay, that you use databases to train mach machines, essentially. But what I found out, and later, in fact, in a podcast very similar to this, was that the original machine learning was human in the loop. And the fact that they were training uh, uh, machines to recognize cats, a photo of a cat, for example, mm -hmm. by having humans respond to what that was to the machine. That is, the machine asked the question, the human answered the question, and the machine then collected that data at the same time that it was actually learning. So uh, we're, it was kind of an interesting concept to go back to the future, so to speak. The other big concept that came out of that that Lila just mentioned was that forward force, that's heterogeneous, small robotics force that's forward in offense, implies that we need to procure, design, and employ systems as a system, not platforms. And the Navy is a little bit off axis on that right now. We have three different DEVRONs for unmanned systems, undersea, surface, and air. We have uh, NAVC and NAVAIR, which are set working on separate uh, unmanned platforms. We're essentially building unmanned platforms as extensions to manned platforms. That's okay, but the real power will be when they're built as a system against a particular mission and uh, we develop an organization when that's what this team implied. We developed an organization that actually builds a system, a multi-domain unmanned system response to a particular mission, not stovepiped. Um, and uh, I think we've got a ways to go for that as a Navy, but it's a great message. When lieutenants get involved with that decision, they someday are the commanders and captains that make it happen. Right, yeah, and I think that that's, you know, gonna be really one of the big takeaways here is, you know, or one of the big buy-ins for a lot of these lieutenants here is what do I need when I'm going to be in charge of a ship? And, you know, especially worst case scenario, missiles are being fired, right? You know, you're going to want to make sure that all these questions have been answered, thought of, you're going into war with the best technology that's there. So I think it's great that all these conversations are really happening. And just to kind of um, go into the um, the kind of the carrier model that you guys were all doing, again, tying it back to the whole MPS community here, I had Professor Wirtz on uh, this podcast uh, maybe a month or two ago, and we talked about a very similar thing from his uh, proceedings article, basically talking about the sea control versus sea denial force. So it looks like you all basically, you know, took in that his wasn't necessarily a unique idea, but kind of expanding on that idea, and then you all kind of running with that forward again, kind of displaying some of that innovation or the iterative steps that can occur here at MPS to really help inform warfighters in the future. Absolutely. No, absolutely, and each year we base the warfare innovation continuum within a scenario, near peer, near future, just below conflict scenario that Jeff Klein creates from his knowledge of the space and ripped from the, the, the headlines and creates a completely fictional scenario, completely open source, and we present that as a scene setter for the students to imagine yourself in this future environment mm -hmm. as you're, you're commanding a squadron, a fleet, a carrier strike group. What would you like to have available to you in this future scenario? Mm -hmm. They don't have to keep all the pieces of the scenario or address everything in the scenario, but it, it allows them, it, it helps place them in that future place where they might have a need and from their operational experience they get to then create that whatever they might need 
Yeah, and I think that, like you said, when you're kind of placing these three days in between quarters here and kind of you really get the students can really get immersed in it and kind of not have to worry about other classes going on and yeah. things like that. And I should be clear, that's just the workshop, that three and a half days. That same scenario is then used in different courses throughout the year that the continuum extends over. It is used, for instance, as the systems engineering analysis capstone project. Mm -hmm. That's the scenario they use for to address their tasking. Um, Joint campaign analysis Joint class, campaign analysis. Navy tactical analysis class, the uh, uh, tactical oceanography class uses it, uh, the energy logistics class uses it. Those are all the, uh, many, well, I could keep listing them, but it'd be boring. Uh, they're the capstone courses in many cases in the curricula that use that scenario to help inspire whatever their problem is mm -hmm. and what they're going to be working on. Um, and we produce that uh, every year. You know, we've got, what, 10, 12 uh, scenarios now. Some are out of date because... Yeah the future that they predicted is already passed, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But um, but then we also have uh, those scenarios are used at times by the Naval War College as well and Marine Corps uh, uh, University um, to be able to lay the backdrop to get people to thinking about uh, how to actually employ uh, the weapon systems they may have to design and use. Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash tridentroompodcast.